This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is sawmill gravy. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Dan McCoy. He was a writer for The Daily Show and John Stewart with John Stewart and Trevor Noah, uh, logging a decade at the show. And he's the founder and one third of the Flophouse podcast, Dan McCoy. And thunderous applause. Welcome. How's it going today? Good. I'm trying. Did I write thunderous applause in? You wrote or? thunderous applause, oh, which okay. was a, I, that's a good choice, I think. Oh, you know, like I should have had a sign. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the uh, daily show, do they have somebody with the sign? We don't have an applause sign, or we don't. We don't. I'm not there anymore. But like, there, no, there was no like applause sign, no laughter sign. We did have, you know, a warm up comic who, the guy who was like mean to the audience, like John would always be like, "Oh man," when he was out, like when he was not the warm up, we would have a worse. Uh, crowd response like <laughs> apparently just activating the audience whether it was like by being cruel to them <laughs> really like, so that's the strategy is you get somebody to come out and kind of like yeah. do uh, uh what was that comic the older guy who used to just kind of come out and, and in, do insult comedy um yeah uh from vegas why can't i yes, think what of what was his name oh, oh Rocky wow. Buck. i like my brain my memory has really been going lately. It, so. it started with a last name with an R, I think, and it's going to come to me at three in the morning. Um, yeah. But I yes. Keep thinking, uh, keep thinking Rip Torn, and that's not his no, name. No, it's not. Five <laughs> of his name. And somebody out there listening has, it, right away, they know exactly who we're talking about, and they're yelling. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but, uh, I think that I, the, the, the idea was that uh, Rickles, Don Rickles. The Don idea Rickles, was, yes. That uh, I think there was kind of a good cop, bad cop thing that like when John came out and was stopped and <laughs> and there was no longer a man hassling you, right? So happy, you know. Yes. Oh, I'm so relieved to not have someone shouting at me now. I love this yeah. person. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's. A, I should try that strategy in my classroom. I should intentionally get like substitute teachers who are just the worst. And yeah. then I can come back and my class will be like, yay, we love you so <laughs> much. Cause the last person just shouted at us and was, you know, evil. Yeah. Um, pretty good psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, regular viewers of the show know we always dress up in costume for the show. So tell everybody about what you chose to wear. That costume is it's a lot. And of course, yeah, yeah of course I'm dressed as, just like Alfred Molina and Boogie Nights, I have uh, a big open robe, uh, uh, a lot of you know chest hair, small gut, you know, uh, little 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 hammocky shorts. Yes, the uh, and it's silver lame. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and does the do, do the shorts match? Because you know you're seated. I can't see, but do the shorts match? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just you. You know, that's what I could throw. I threw the robe on to cover up my my main nudity 
<laughs> yes. Well, it is. Thank you for committing. I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours. So I was anxious about this show and I thought maybe I'll do like something really formal and I'll go like tux with tails, you know, like, cause to, to kind of replicate the formality of the flop house. Cause it's this show that is, you know, yes, um, very. Fans of the show know. I mean, it is it is a well oiled machine. No one ever talks over Dan. Uh, it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, instead, I thought Boogie Nights. Yes, I'm going to go Boogie Nights, and so I went with this. You know, very comfortable. It's a little bit of a deep V uh, uh, kind of white shirt, but you know, just a, a, a t shirt and these very tight denim shorts, and then I'll show off my flexibility here and and the roller skates. So I went with Roller Girl. Um, that I have not seen that movie. I was realizing in in preparing this costume, I haven't seen it since it came out. Oh, uh, really? They did a uh, they did a restoration, and they, I don't know what the I don't know how this is done. When they like they did a seventy millimeter version for a movie that was not originally shot on seventy millimeter, uh, but they did some sort of rest, restoration that also like upscaled it for the 70 millimeter presentation that I saw at Lincoln Center just recently and it was weird uh my wife had never seen Boogie Nights but we had seen Babylon together we both really we were on the side of Babylon is good uh, a lot of people don't like it but like it was wild for her to see Boogie Nights after seeing Babylon yeah. and well, uh, I remember we're the same age and so if you and I I mean you we were what in, in college or shortly after yeah. school when it came out and mm-hmm. I was not ready for that. Like, I thought, oh, this is going to be a, a, a sex romp comedy. It's all going to be light and fun. And yeah. then here are these actors acting their hearts out, making people in the sex work profession real, genuine human beings. And I was like, I am an early 20s male. I am not sure I am prepared <laughs> emotionally for this. Yeah, I love Oh, I love that movie so much. It's really well done. Yeah, I should go back and, and watch it now, at, you know, and... and 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 have you met Molina? <laughs> have I met Molina? I've never did met. You, did, uh, when, when the guests were on the show, did you get to meet the various guests on who would? Come I met. The, yeah. So you could um, you could ask to meet a guest once in a very long while. In general, you know they don't want guests to feel uncomfortable by like just random people of the show. But like every once in a while, you could sort of cash in your goodwill of not being the sort of person who did this. Yes. Um, and I did it twice over my time in the show. I did it uh, one's more obvious than the other. When David Byrne was on, I said, I got to meet David Byrne. Can you? Can I meet David Byrne? And that was very much just like, I shook his hand and I'm like, you know, your, your music has meant a lot to me. And he says, oh, thank you. And a very quiet David Byrne voice. And then that's it. That's fine. I like I like that's kind of what I expected. Yes. Uh, and I also asked to meet uh Gillian Jacobs when she was on the show. Uh and I was, you know, I pulled one of those like I'm not just a casual fan like moves where I brought her <laughs> a picture of Gary Marshall to sign uh because of her ongoing Paul F. Tompkins bit on Comedy Bang Bang where uh, she would like marry him for his money, and so she signed, like, "I want his money!" Exclamation point. Uh, love Gillian Jacob, and she was really nice. And honestly, it's like she gave the vibe like she would be happy to chat a little bit more, yeah. like chatted a little bit with her. But I was like, I'm also gonna like not press my luck. Yeah. Um, 
and I met not because he was a guest, but I wrote something. I wrote Sir Patrick Stewart into a script, and um, you know, they're like, "Hey, we're gonna try and actually get him. We're gonna try and get like sometimes you take these big swings because you're like, why not? Like we'll see, you know." Um, and and he said yes because you know he's in Brooklyn and he likes doing that kind of thing, and. <laughs> I got a picture with him afterwards, um, but I felt kind of bad because I wrote him in as he was like, um, he played a moon rover and they put him in this like cardboard box with aluminum foil on it and like a little like, you know, uh, what am I thinking of? Like a TV dish kind of thing on the top of his head. And, uh, and I felt very bad <laughs> then afterwards watching him actually do it. Like, what have I done to this man? Like, the joke is that you're doing this and you actually are doing this. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. yeah. Oh, but how cool. Yeah. Uh, is he living in, he lives, he's back in England now, right? I believe. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen news about him, about Brooklyn. So I presumed that he had, yeah, made a change i think uh, during covid yeah i think he if i remember he did this really cool thing during uh covid where he would put out a video on tiktok every day of one of shakespeare's sonnets and then just riff on it after reading it and it was delightful to have you know uh, this daily reminder that the world would kind of continue and, and yeah. you know and it's patrick stewart who's amazing and uh, you know, but your Shakespearean sonnet for the day got me through. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he was back in England, uh, living in this very modest home. Like, you know, here's this guy, yeah. he's, you know, he's not living in a mansion. He's just, you know, I was like, this, this is, it is what the, that level of kind of Shakespearean actor. Like I think of them as kind of demigods, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're people living through a lockdown like the rest of well, us. And also, I think that particularly, you know, sort of people who, you know, he's a, big movie star at this point but i think he really does love the theater and like came up obviously in the theater i think that that style of actor genuine generally like has a bit more of a like well i don't know what am i going to do with like a big house <laughs> kind yeah. of kind of attitude yeah. well and there's know? probably also a you know uh, a, a sense that of there's there's a little more safety in England like you don't yeah. have to worry about oh yeah if I didn't have a giant gated mansion then the 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 hordes right. would be on my doorstep <laughs> and there's like this you know no people will be polite and leave me alone here um and so it's just the American tourists who are <laughs> mobbing <laughs> his home um so uh, I have been incredibly excited to have you on the show. Uh, first thing I wanted to ask you is, what uh, are you doing work-wise now? So you've been have been on the Daily Show for many many years, and now you and you've got the Flophouse. Kind of, how long has the Flophouse been going now? Uh, it's like sixteen years now. Like we had, we had a um, an article in Variety about our four hundredth episode that was right literally it ran i think on the day that the writers guild strike started right um, <laughs> so or like the next the day after like and <laughs> like get boo hoo hoo from from me i want to make it clear a lot of people like suffered uh much greater uh things because of the strike but it was definitely like oh, okay like we're gonna like no one's going to be paying attention to this. Yes, yes. They're going to be coming to uh, Daily Variety to read other things right now. But um, 
but yeah, it's been going on for a while. I so the re like a little peek behind the curtain. This joke only works if people know that you asked me what I should be asked about. Because yeah. the, th the truth is, I'm not working on anything. I mean, obviously, like there was the strike, and then the the, the SAG strike just now ended. Uh, but the the point is more like I'm I'm free. Please hire me because. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, so the word is now out. <laughs> the word yes. is. I mean, not that people wouldn't know. I like this is. I don't know why I think this is more uh, a good way to do this than through my vast network of <laughs> other writers, but um, it's just, uh, I don't know, like I'm an aging comedy writer, which is who stayed like a decade at one show. I did a little bit of another show, but like I have this like deep fear that this is it for me in terms of telling <laughs> I'm trying to like pivot and see what else I can do. I've been working on a TV or not, sorry, uh, like a, a movie script uh, that will be. Well, and you mentioned on the Flophouse that you have a nonfic book that's a collection of essays as well. Are you? Shocked? Yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> you know what? It's I. I let I. You know, I went out of the Daily Show with like a lot of confidence that like, hey, you know. Have I've had this experience on one of the iconic late night shows? Uh, you know, perhaps it's dimmed a bit in recent years, but it's like a very important show yeah. for a long time. And I have this podcast following. Like people will surely, uh, it won't be that hard to get my Flophouse adjacent book picked up anywhere. But you know, I should have looked at the other side of that which is like there's not really any need for another book from a comedian talking about pop culture in some way definitely like particularly one that has no like has a large following in a way right <laughs> but, but it's in yes it's in. A, <laughs> you know so and um, the publishing industry is brutal like is yes. incredibly challenging so i'm considering i mean on the one hand, I'm considering self-publishing. On the other hand, I'm like, well, yeah, maybe they have a point. No one needs this. Uh, I could do something else. So we'll, we'll see what the future <laughs> holds. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to, I, you know, I, it's a show about procrastination. I want to avoid process too much. But without asking you about the writing process itself, maybe this is a roundabout way of getting at a process question. I, you have mentioned a handful of times your frustration with the depiction of comedy writer room in 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 film and television you know studio 60 on and uh, on the sunset strip and what's the film that you just that just rankles uh, late night the yes. the kayleen movie which is you know kind of a fun movie in its own right but is not accurate <laughs> at all what do those get wrong i mean studio 60 what it gets wrong in my my <laughs> estimation is that the the, the 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 comedy they produced wasn't funny uh, and so that there is that <laughs> the fact that like when uh, they come in, the big genius move they have is like let's start this revamp Studio sixty with a not even not a parody but a pastiche like a new new lyrics to a old Gilbert and Sullivan song and God knows like I I like that song <laughs> I like that kind of thing just fine but that's not 
the hip new thing that's gonna get eyes on you. It's like we're gonna right. do a song. We're gonna do our own words to. Uh, I'm the very model of a modern major general. Um, very odd. And then you see like later on, like Nate Cordry and DL Hughley are like, you know, riffing, like doing like news jokes back to each other. And each one of these news jokes, this is something that I definitely can speak to. Like all of them seem to have like 50 words in them and they're packing in so much information before they get to a C minus at best punchline. And I'm like, you got to keep these things short dudes. Like, like this is where like Aaron Sorkin is a very good writer of patter, like character patter between people. But when it came to knowing <laughs> how jokes worked, I'm like, I don't think you're quite getting it, man. I mean, and then of course there was all the stuff in Studio 60 specifically about how, oh, this is the most important show. Like it felt like this is the most important show culturally. Comedy is so important. It's going to really move the needle. I can tell you after like, you know, a decade on one of the most influential like news comedy shows like that ain't true yeah. <laughs> like uh people were like wanting the writer's autographs <laughs> that's certainly not true like uh the late matthew perry rest in peace his character comes in and is like yelling at the the writers like that they should dress in suits like him you get into comedy to not <laughs> dress yeah. in suits. like i would wear you know blazers to the office sometimes and they would always be like you going to a funeral like what do you <laughs> yeah too formal um just all these nutty things like the show apparently was the only thing that the head of the network had on her plate or or either amanda pete or stephen weber's plate they're always hanging around the studios yeah. i don't think that that's what they would be doing um i mean late night problem was a lot more of like the, the writers being sort of surprised and annoyed that the host wanted to take a hand in the show all of a sudden. And you, know, you would hear tales of Letterman in his later years, like mostly not wanting to deal with any of this writing. Like people would sort of like slip uh, scripts under his door and he would do it or he would just riff for a while. Like, you know, he was kind of that way from my understanding. But in general, like, the host is always like the most involved in what goes on and right rightly so as much as like sometimes i would be annoyed if my joke would be cut for you know a joke that maybe they only liked because it was their joke like i'm not the guy out there you know right. like they get the credit and they get the blame you know it, which is you know both good for a writer and frustrating for a writer that you don't get the credit but in the words of Mad Men which would be said many times that's what the money is for you don't yeah. you know like you don't get the credit you get paid you get paid yeah. so how many folks better are job than most people so don't complain yeah so how <laughs> many folks are in that writer's room when you know John Stewart or Trevor Noah is sitting around with you and and trying to figure out what joke he's actually going to tell you know uh, by the end of my time with Trevor, like Trevor really seemed to like having a lot of people around. So he, like, I think the the staff ballooned upwards. Uh, I can't give you kind of an exact number because it didn't stay so stable, but around 15, I would say maybe. 
and, and you know as that i'm i'm a novelist i i mean the you know it's me the, the writing room is me <laughs> so like that yeah you know i've got a couple of folks i've worked with who've done collaborative writing uh but it's you know two people in some cases exchanging chapters like not even you know that kind of collaborative writing um and i can imagine you know there's a part of me that says oh my gosh that would be so much fun to be with other writers and to be you know working and creating together and i can also imagine times where it's just got to be so frustrating where you're going there are too many hands in this kitchen like you know well i mean you definitely have preferences i uh, if you're like there are people who love bouncing ideas around and there are people who are more like me who are more like you who like i always felt like I can do this faster on my own, which is important because this show is one that needs fast turnover. And I did prefer oftentimes, you know, we would do a mix where like sometimes you were, you would do your thing and then we could get combined with someone else's thing. And like the only collaboration would happen later on. And sometimes it would be fully together. And I normally would prefer at least to do the first pass myself if, if that was a thing, but then again, I think it was probably good for me as a human <laughs> to learn how to write with someone and to have that like back and forth. Because for us all, all, I don't know how my old coworkers would look at it, but I think that they would agree with me that while I preferred to write alone, I was not like a difficult person to write with. I, I did learn how to be like back and forth, you know. But it was often people degree. would come in with drafts and then polish together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that I, I, I think is so much more efficient. Like the idea of you know that that first drafting with fifteen people in the room. Yes. I just think Very I hard. can't. That can't, especially when speed is of the essence. Like uh, that, I think that could be <laughs> really counterproductive. Yes. Yeah, but you know, brainstorming sessions don't tend to be uh, the, the most productive part of any workplace. Yeah. Um, so uh, what has been uh, pulling you away from your writing in terms of pop culture lately? Um, you know, it's not necessarily pop culture. What I came up with when I was thinking about this was uh, I do a lot of karaoke. Um, I did some karaoke uh, on Wednesday that was nominally kind of, we, we told people, Hey, this is part of my extended wedding anniversary because I also had a, a, our anniversary on on Monday. Congratulations! Uh, but thank you. But I think that like we would have done it anyway. Right. <laughs> We're just trying to sort of extend the the celebrations. But I, um, I love. It. I am a karaoke slut. I tell everybody like if there is oh, karaoke right. to be sung, I will. Yeah, I will at some point get up there. Uh, do you have like go tos? I do, but honestly, at this point, it's more like I'm just desperately trying to find something that I want to sing that I think I'd be good at singing that I haven't sung all the time yet. Like that is the degree to which I sing a lot of karaoke. Yeah, like, yeah. well, I, I, the it, problem. you're like, I, have you found that there are songs that you realize, oh, I've done this song many times. It's actually not a good karaoke song. It just, you know, like the instrumental goes on too long and I'm standing here, you know? Like. Yeah. I mean, there are ones where I'm like, uh, it's, it's less that and more that like, maybe I sang it really well once mm. and I've never been able to recreate it. Like I, I feel like I'm very good at singing Fiona Apple's criminal 
in my shower unless <laughs> whenever I've tried it. Yes, yes. But, yes, um, I can do uh, REM's uh, standard world if you know it when no one is present. <laughs> as anyone is around. <laughs> I don't know. Fake search didn't happen. I don't know. Um, although, uh, in my defense, I saw REM once and they can't do it either. Like, that is one that you can do in studio, but you need the lyrics written out in front of you. It's too fast. <laughs> and possibly multiple takes. Oh, yeah. Like, Audrey, I mentioned before, you know, we... We, we we had it as part of our anniversary, but there's that there actually is a significance to that, which is that we did karaoke with the same karaoke like group of people, which was actually sort of a basically a social group connected to the Max Fun podcast network that I'm on. Like I went to that for a year, <laughs> she claims, without ever <laughs> saying anything to her. She was in the same Oh, the, I, the annual retreat thing that they have? The No, no, no. It was no, this was just like uh, an organization, Max Fund New York, that just like a oh, listener okay. put together. The, but they would have there's a place in New York where they would have karaoke where you pay a flat fee of around $16 on like the afternoon of a Sunday or whatever it was. And then you get like eight hours of it of in a room. So we like, there would be like a standard group of people and I apparently didn't talk to her for a long time, which is, I think I'm actually not unpersonable once I have a, like the ice has been broken. I'm just not good at doing that or thinking like, Oh, I should be the one to well, say. And also there's the, um, there's an attractive woman. If I just walk up and start talking to her, I'm creepy. So I just won't, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> Um, I think I'm, yeah, I am scared of coming off as creepy, but I don't think I was so worried. I just like, I don't know. It was like during the weird period of my life where I, I was like, I had been married before I was single. I would like go there. I'd be like quiet and then I would sing songs. Yeah. <laughs> and so I probably seen this. I'm seeing like a much more of a weirdo by not. Yes. yes. Now, do you two sing together? Well, that's the real, that's the, that's where you, you know, you run into a problem where there's like only so many good duets, like yeah. as much as there are not that many songs, there are even fewer duets. And um, you've gotten to a point where like, like we can kill suddenly Seymour, like we can kill at it. Like we can really, like, especially if we're in a group who've never heard us sing it before, but um but uh, it's just like, at this point, I have to disappoint her sometimes because I'm like, I we've done it so many times. We need, yes, everyone in here has heard us do that one before. <laughs> yeah. Our last song at our wedding was uh, that song from <laughs> Mannequin, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, because yes. that is a good karaoke duet and one that we've done a lot of. But oh, Classic. Yes, yeah. another film I have not gone back and seen since childhood. <laughs> I think that when probably you don't need to revisit it doesn't probably doesn't have the same kind of acting caliber as a boogie yeah. no <laughs> um, in fact i'll bet there's some really problematic stuff that one might be a good uh, revisit for the flop house to go oh this is a nightmare i mean I, I i don't think that hollywood is probably the best depiction of a gay man the most sensitive although he at least in an 80s movie is presented as 
one of the heroes of the yes, film. Yes, true. That's something, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting to go back and go, oh, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what about uh, news-wise? What's been pulling you away from your writing lately? I'll be honest, this one was tough for me at first because I was thinking about, like, I did spend that much time on a comedy news show. That combined with the fact that everything seems to be horrible has really dampened my desire to look at any news. I, I try, like, there's one part of me that's like, well, am I just sticking my head in the sand? Is this, but then, like, the other part of me is like, what am I going to do about most of it other than making myself upset? But, um, so the thing that kind of struck me actually was more in the industry news area, which was like the David Zaslav shelving of this Coyote versus Acme movie that it is completed, that, like, John Cena is in, that, like, James Gunn was one of the, like, producers oh. on. Like, like some of the big talent they have over there right now shelved for yet another tax write-off. A tax write-off. That's and the thing that's... Yeah, that so I I I thank you for I did not know about this story and that's because I'm a political obsessive and all the yeah. news is horrible and so I've been you know reading stuff that I can do nothing about and that is just atrocious and you know yeah it it, it has been a bad time in the news and then I got to go read this story and be outraged about something else so that was nice thank you uh, that's <laughs> well but, uh, it is a wild story to I mean I I don't know. I, I think it is a, a good kind of symbol of a shift in the industry from, you know, people who there's always been, you know, awful venal stuff going on in, in the industry, but at least people wanted to make movies <laughs> like this is. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of the problem. People kept saying this uh, with with well, why the strike went on so long was, you know, studio heads used to be people who like. Yeah, like always people making movies, like quote unquote creatives would like complain that the studio was out of touch in this or that way. But they tended to be people who had come up in the movie business and enjoyed movies. And now, I mean, like Zaslav is also in the entertainment business, but he's being ported over from like, you know, the reality side of things, you know, like just doing absolute garbage. Yeah. Uh, not that all reality is garbage, but the stuff that he seems to specialize in is more on that side. And well, I'm wondering uh, if he's trying to establish himself as a I'm not a a, a a reality TV guy. I'm a I'm a high finance guy. Uh, like I, you know, I want to show the stockholders that I'm a, a CEO so that I can get a job outside of this industry entirely. Because I mean, it seems like what he's done is care about that side. I mean, you know, and and then on other things you've got. You know, Amazon is now a major studio, Apple, like, so people who have no sort of tradition yeah. being in this business got into it so they can vertically integrate their other products and like control yes. the content. And so they don't care about being sort of good stewards of the material or treating the people who make it fairly. So that's why it took so long. Yeah. Uh, to make a deal 
I, but I do like it, you know, to the point at which the finally people got in the room. And they're like, all right, let's just do this, you know. Yeah. Do we uh, do we I have not seen the terms yet. I've been following this. I'm a, I'm a you know, big time union guy. But uh, um, the writer's is... terms are pretty good. I I don't like I think that we basically got everything we we're asking for. The SAG terms. I don't really understand that side of it because it's not my thing as well. It sounds like they didn't get exactly what they're asking for, but they got kind of something that they were able to come up with together to compromise on which is you know that's good. also good. well and, and if you come out of a negotiation and everybody's equally unsatisfied that's the point like you know that's yeah. that's that's where you want to get to but uh i i felt like the writers was a win like that was you know the yeah. writers could be really happy with theirs i'm really curious what the language around ai is going to be i think that's going to be a story that extends beyond the actors like you know as, as those of us in the you know all the creative professions that are threatened by AI, this might be some of the language that's kind of a foundation for how to protect ourselves a little bit. Yeah, and like I'm not even... I think that... I'm not even the most hardline person. Like, I think that there's probably a place for that technology, but it's not in generating original material because it is all just going to sort of draw on like the most formulaic things that and that's already the direction we're headed so it's just gonna i think i think if you moved in that direction you would just get exponentially more you know homogenous stuff and people yeah. would get bored so yeah, like it's, it's a mediocrity machine yeah um yeah no and and, and you know and the the I tell students, you know, all the time, like, sure, if you want to turn in something to me that is all in quotation marks, and then you cite your source and you say, yes, ChatGPT wrote this, it's not plagiarism. Like, at that point, <laughs> you know, go ahead, uh, I will give the grade to ChatGPT, but like, you need to learn to cite your source. And I think that's the yeah. challenge of it is, how, how do you credit people appropriately? It's it's going to be, uh, there. Right. there is another and lawsuit that's like, AI will just be drawing on all sorts of false sources like you see it in like your iphone used to be pretty good at correcting your grammar and spelling now it's not anymore it's because it's going on all these people who don't know proper grammar yes, and yes. it's like dropping the apostrophes in don't and stuff because yeah. it's going on other people don't do uh, humans don't do that as far as i can tell and yeah. it's so infuriating to an english teacher <laughs> i'm watching this going please who's teaching who at this point the ai is now teaching my children my students not to put the apostrophe in don't you know? yeah no and again like i don't if you're texting me like that i don't care right. but do like correct it to something wrong like the yeah. like i'm not prescriptive about language but also we have to you know agree on a certain set of things to make sure we can communicate with each other and like ai doesn't understand that necessarily yes, yes. I, I try and teach my students about kind of lexical levels and you know levels yeah. of formality and it's like yeah the, the, it's totally the way you text with your friends is entirely appropriate and please <laughs> don't turn that into your college professor that way you know and and the, yeah the chat the you know ai can't figure that out because it's saying this is what people do <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I wonder that actually is I wonder if anybody's working on that, like, you know, teaching the AI to go, OK, formal writing is like this and casual writing is I, I bet the somebody is working on that uh, as we speak. But 
so when you're another what's another hobby that you've been working on when you're not writing um i'd say the the biggest one for me these days is drawing i i mean i there was a period where i was sort of drawing you know every day i think um these days you know sometimes i'll do a little bit and not for a couple of days and then like a burst of like five drawings <laughs> you know um i try i love doing it i try to now do it in moderation because i tend to find that i get into this like altered mind state and if i only get so much uh like quality time with my wife like i don't want to just be like focused on this other thing and sort of go off into space but um it's a thing that I did a lot when I was a kid. Uh, then I sort of, at a certain point, I switched my focus into performing and writing creative, creatively. And for whatever reason, it just sort of fell away. Uh, and now, I think during the pandemic, it really sort of came roaring back. First, I sort of had more time and I was doing these... Um, zoom life drawing sessions uh every week and uh but who is that through that's 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 cool um a, a, an organization called drawing america specifically drawing new york i uh the zoom ones during the pandemic were all costume uh drawing because you know obviously you don't want like naked models who maybe don't want their like a screenshot taken right of them. right uh you know but then then they have like at the arts club they have some like nude life drawing that you can do as well and they're just like things that you kick in some money for the models for their time and everyone in a room drawing um and it really improved like now i i think that i much like say a, a rob liefeld uh, I was good. That's what I was gonna say. You can already draw better feet than Rob Lightfield. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I never drew like him, but I similarly I would I sort of had this surface flash that would cover up for a lot of fundamental problems, and the solution to that was to do a lot of life drawing. And now I can much more sort of picture how the body moves in space in a way that has uh, really seeped down into all of my art. I think. That that is yeah that that's uh, I I am jealous. That is an area where I mean uh, perspective on the the body in in space and then mm -hmm. not getting your proportions all off. You know if if a person is you know standing perfectly unnaturally, uh, it's it's a little easier to go okay here's here's this model. But the way the body you know exists in space is challenging to capture. Hands I really struggle with hands, uh, you know, and so that 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 daily practice uh i i'm sure you but was beneficial to see that progress yeah well i think that we all as people sort of we're seeing stuff around us but we are also sort of constructing a much simplified version of what we're seeing in our mind and if we're imagining a person like there's all these errors we're going to make because we like we care about the face. So we're going to make the head way bigger than it needs to be in the face, way bigger on the head. And, you know, like this or that thing, we're just not going to have an accurate, truly accurate version of it. 
when we when we try and put it down on paper but if you take the time to look and actually have it sink in it, it creates all the difference and it's you know it's a good i don't i i i have even though i have a very easy life in a lot of ways i am prone to a lot of stress and anxiety so anything that can be described as meditative is good for me and i tend to enjoy it yes, <laughs> whether yes. it be drawing whether it be playing the guitar not very well and singing along to myself whether it be you know um cooking or i've started yoga like i think all of these things i have drifted towards because i find that they make me feel better <laughs> yes that was uh, during the lockdowns i picked up painting again and i that was something i had not done and that exercise of seeing light in a different way you know yeah. was really calming i mean it was really good centering uh because yeah the, I, I i'm with you there i tend to feel a lot of anxiety about things i have no control over <laughs> and so that was another thing about the canvas is this is a space i can control you know and that was nice to just go i'm just focused here right now well i mean that plays into you know performance too where uh, again like i feel like if you catch me in a non-performance mode and i don't know you personally i'm gonna have a hard time feeling comfortable and there are people who are a lot more personable than I am maybe in those situations who are like, I don't understand how anyone can perform and like, how do you perform? And I'm like, well, to me, it's much better because like, that is a space I control, you know, like yeah. that is, it's a different, like, <laughs> you know, it may seem uncomfortable to me, to, to you, to me, it's like, that's much better. Like I, yeah. I'm in control. Uh, interesting to think about that in terms of uh, you know, um, my fiance talks a lot about masking. Uh, you know, folks who are neurodivergent, that's something they have to do all the time. And I wonder to what extent, when we are in a performative space, is that a mask that we're comfortable wearing? Or are we in that context, you know, actually unmasked? Like, this is a place where I can be more me because I know the rules and I understand, so I have some sense of safety. Uh, I. <laughs> I'm getting being very revealing of myself. I like my my brother is has was recently like uh, diagnosed neurodivergent like uh, on the spectrum, and I have a lot of similar behaviors to him, mm -hmm. and I have had no particular uh, uh, no one has diagnosed me because I've looked into it, and it's extremely expensive, and no insurance will cover it, but. There's always been like ever since I heard that I'm like, do I am I a little bit on the spectrum as well? And is that what's going on with yes. a lot of things? I, I have been armchair okay. diagnosed by a lot of neurodivergent people. Okay. <laughs> it's just yeah. not quite, you know, technically the same thing and doesn't provide yeah. medication. But uh, yes, I you know I, I I think I'm and you know I always say to folks I'm, we're all on the spectrum somewhere. <laughs> exactly. That's that's to some degree. Is it useful for you to know? Maybe maybe not. Like. In some ways, it can be helpful to like know you have these tendencies. In other ways, I think that, you know, on my bad days, I'm like, well, do I have these tendencies? And then like it boxes me in. Like I'm like, yeah, just like this, you know, like and who knows? Who knows? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and do I want to be more aware of them and therefore thinking about them all the time? Like, yeah. You know, do I want to be, it's like when somebody, you know, makes you think about the, the thing that, you know, you, you are already self-conscious about. Great. Well, now I'm <laughs> contemplating. You know. um, so uh, one of the things I always ask folks about is, uh, you know, the, 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 the part of the premise of the show is to help readers get to know writers and so just to kind of get to know you if you were in a you as as dan mccoy not a character you choose to play but if dan mccoy uh, were a dungeons and dragons character what would be his race and class oh okay that's different than what i would choose to play <laughs> as i think most of us choose things not like ourselves but i think looking at it i i would go with halfling since they're Basically, the non-copyrighted <laughs> buddy Tolkien yes. hobbits and uh, love comfort and you know food <laughs> and all that stuff. Um, and then I think I would go with paladin. Paladin, yeah, Cause, just because of a general like punishing desire to like uh do what is right (laughs) um you and i are both you know um midwest protestants like and i wonder to what extent that is the cultural milieu in which we were raised where it's there's a lot of pressure to you know do it help somebody out when they need it and you know yeah and maybe to a certain degree like it's not deeply felt it's just <laughs> it's just that it's the cultural expectation of being good is, is this um and i you know i feel like i've been talking a lot about her but my wife is um a first generation filipina woman who like born in new york went back to the philippines for a while came back here and her family is much more like sort of there's not the same kind of passive aggression. Yes. Like, and it's it's been a process of learning how to communicate better, I think, because you know, she doesn't like the, she doesn't like passive aggression, which I totally understand. And but also like I think I have been taught to like look for what everyone is secretly saying. Uh and sometimes people aren't secretly saying sometimes no. people are just, saying what they mean yes i i have you know had to navigate this as as an adult like so the you know jewish side of the family speaks with a certain kind of uh just there's there's a whole kind of cultural intonation as far as how quickly you interrupt how direct you are how loud you are the you know the volume level and then you know growing up in michigan and illinois and you know my folks are presbyterian like (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so very uh, different kind of speed and and ways of interacting, and then it's it's now like in my forties, finally realizing, oh, there are there are things that I accepted about the way that I should emote, you know, yeah. or should not emote, uh, uh, you know, that were culturally ingrained by that kind of Midwest Protestantism, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I remember I was thinking about. Oh, I heard this uh, very funny song. Somebody out there did um, this incredible rendition of Don't Stop Believin' and Metallica's uh, Enter Sandman and, and hybridized them. And it is 
a thing of beauty. Like it starts yeah. off and it's totally Metallica. And then, you, you know, I can just, John Scalzi, the, the author uh, posted it and was like, you know, when he DJs, he plays it and you can just see the, you know, the Metallica fans just rage when they start realizing <laughs> what they're listening to. And the song made me so happy. And then immediately I started feeling guilty for feeling so happy. And I was like, why am I feeling? Oh yeah, this is, you know, we're not supposed to have big feelings. <laughs> like it's wild and like i if anyone <laughs> if if anyone is watching who can hear this and needs to hear it to, try not to wait until you're middle age to deal with your feelings like i think that yes. something about middle age compels you to do it but it would be a lot it's a lot easier i think if you start yeah. earlier Yes, don't don't wait till you realize you need therapy to get therapy. <laughs> Please get yes, yes, exactly. Um, okay, so we'll take our quick ad break so that we can go. Okay, we even started talking about our feelings that we need to, you know, uh, take a deep yeah. breath and uh, and then. Uh, so I'll have Doug uh, take us to our ad break, and then when we come back, I'll ask you what you've been daydreaming about. Okay, great. Hi, I'm Karen Eisenbray, and I wear a lot of hats. Wife, mother, church lady, writer, editor, punk rock drummer. I gave all my hats to Barbara, the main character of the Gospel According to St. Rage and Barbara and the Rage Brigade. Barbara isn't your typical high school junior. She's been invisible since the third grade. But when a magic hat brings her back into the light, Barbara is ready to take on the world. First priority? Start an all-girl garage band. Miraculous superpowers were never in her plan. But sometimes you get what you need. Bullies and school shooters don't stand a chance. Truth, justice, rock and roll. So, uh, Dan, what have you been daydreaming about lately? This one was hard for me because like most of the daydreaming I've been doing has been trying to work out various plot things for a screenplay I'm trying to write. Like part of me is like, for a while TV was a safe place to be and now I'm like, I gotta pivot into trying to be a screenwriter, see what happens there. Um, but um, I often sort of daydream about the cats. We, we are a very devoted cat family uh all the more so i think for not having children the not that they are the same thing but a lot of energy that mm -hmm. might yes. otherwise go somewhere is being put into the cats um and just like wondering like pondering the fact that like these are animals that i will never know exactly what they're thinking like they're alien to me they're a, a creature of a different species that are just just living in my home and it's very odd when you think about it sometimes and I'm just wondering what's going on and sometimes it goes too far I remember I was I remember a time when I got I made myself sad thinking if I was the size of a mouse Archie would just eat me <laughs> Like, <laughs> and, you know, this is not a problem that I need to worry about. Yes. How much does my cat love me? It would consume me were I its yeah. food. I well, yeah. 
<laughs> would he recognize me? Maybe if he took the time to smell me, maybe. Yeah. But but the relationship with the dynamic would be so changed. Like you can yeah. no longer serve me. Uh, you know, so yeah, I, I don't. I don't think you should feel that that is a, a you know, a, a judgment on your relationship. You you would no longer have the same relationship. So, no, it's true. It's true. But that's. I think that is what made me sad. I'm like you know, at, at your heart, you know, what is this relationship to you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, on the other hand, to to be fair, if you were the size of a mouse, you might not love Archie in the same way. You may find Archie terrifying. I, Both I of you probably would. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, you wouldn't see Archie as a source of comfort, but of menace. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> these, 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 these dramatic changes in our relationships. Uh, yes, uh, as, as people who have had human relationships change. <laughs> now I'm thinking back in my human relationships, going, at what point did I become the size of a mouse in that relationship? <laughs> there's a metaphor here. Yeah, <laughs> it's always it's always shocking to. I had like a friend, I'm not gonna, you know, I obviously will not call them out. I had a friend like break up with me basically out of nowhere, like just like, you know what, like I don't feel like I feel sad after we hang out. And granted, it was like after my divorce, I was probably like taking more than I was giving, but I was like, that's fine. I'm not gonna argue. Like, you have made a probably what's a difficult decision for you. I'm not gonna argue this. I'm not gonna like your. What you were telling me is like you don't want this anymore. Uh, I do wish maybe you like I had to spur that conversation, yeah, out of them. And I'm like, I do kind of wish you had said something earlier rather than your apparent plan was to just sort of gradually ghost me. <laughs> like, who's the real monster here? Uh huh. I I can change. Yes, but, yes, yeah. Th thanks for giving me a heads up about the fact the the building resentment. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. No, I, I I certainly feel that one. The you know the the cat grew exponentially. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? <laughs> also, I obviously I'm not. I I bear that little mark of resentment. But on the other hand, like that's a good way of thinking of it. The cat grew. Like sometimes things just change, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, the the dynamic. I, I you know I've I've very much experienced that with you know my I'll have re relationships that are based. I'm I'm a father. My son just went off to college, but you have those relationships where it's like we we are friends because our kids are both at the same preschool, right? And we get together and you know and and then you know we we uh, are meeting weekly because our kids are on the same swim team, and then they're not. And uh, what did we really you know? And and so yeah, there is a lot of kind of. It, you know, it's not ghosting. It's the, the relationship was built on something and it didn't really feel like it could be sustained without that thing. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the cat the cat got bigger or the mouse got smaller. Like, you know. It happens. Yeah. So um, we, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, what's, oh, I'm excited about this. Uh, what's something that you want the audience to know about that's coming up? Uh, well, so... I was thinking about what's it like we are gonna go on tour my podcast in in late January, but a couple of those dates are not confirmed yet. Uh is there or, a Portland date by any chance? A Portland there I can tell you there is a Portland date. That's one of the ones that is uh they already have a link for. I was oh, I said confirmed. Okay. I meant there's just like a couple of them aren't announced and we're waiting for the venue, but uh 
So I that's did not know that I am getting my tickets. That is awesome. Okay, good. <laughs> well, I made one sale. Yes, you did. Yes, oh, sale done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, so during the strike, um, we had been doing these sort of bigger virtual shows that were sort of like versions of what we would do as our live touring show, which we hadn't been able to do at first during COVID. And then we had some issues with our booker, blah, blah, blah. That stuff is behind the curtain that doesn't like, we just couldn't, we, we lost the person who would do that for us, um, which was another setback in touring. So we were doing these virtual shows, uh, but they were kind of like these like big versions, big in quotation works of like our touring shows. And we thought like, let's do something during the strike that is what we can't do for the struck against companies, which is do a TV show. Like yeah. we're, we, we don't, we can do that during the strike because we're not str on strike against ourselves. Like not everyone I think understands the mechanics of like the writer strike. It doesn't mean like you can't write at all. It means that we are, striking against a particular group of companies that are represented by the APTA, uh, and that's who we sort of came to a contract with. But in the meantime, the Flophouse, my podcast, uh, has been doing this season of one-hour shows, um, and you can get tickets if you're interested, if you are somehow interested but don't already listen to us, Flogging it on our own show. You can get them at theflophouse.simpletix.com. That's theflophouse.simpletix.com. And but it's like an hour-long show. Each individual show, we like sell tickets for like seven bucks, but then you can get a package for the whole season. And it's kind of been it's been a good idea for us. I like yeah. it was sort of Elliot's idea, and then we both like threw in some like tweaks on it that like made it mean the difference I think in our lives between like being able to really continue as we're and not like uh because as I said you know Elliot and I our main jobs used to be writing for television there was a time we couldn't do that um and so the, the shows the 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 individual episodes can folks go back and get those previous yes. ones you can get previous ones i think still individually also definitely if people get a season pass they can like they have access to everything okay um in the season until the season ends which i think is ending like at the end of january okay good because i'm doing nanowrimo so i'm not watching anything for the entire month of november because it's oh, my wow. writing month but I can now catch up in December. Those will be those will be a lot of fun. I've heard on the podcast talking about which movies you've covered, and I'm like, I need to watch these. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it. I think it would seem like a very much a hodgepodge of movies to people who don't already listen to the show. But we chose them kind of by like what have we invoked a lot of times on the show, but haven't talked about, and in some cases haven't seen ourselves. Like we did a double feature of. Hot Dog the Movie and Hamburger the Motion Picture, which are movies that we have brought up a lot of times just because we find those titles so funny. Right. Uh, but none of us had seen either. Oh, of none them. of you had seen them. It wasn't like yeah. one person was saying, oh, we've got to check out Hot Dog and Hamburger. <laughs> I mean, I probably saw little bits of an edited version of of them on like USA Up All Night, but... Oh, I will. Yeah, I'm, I, I will have to. And are the sh how long are the episodes? 
those ones are all about an hour. I okay, think that, so. They're not as long as the full. No, no, we we we're very carefully like trying to keep them more bite-sized because uh, we have a tendency to indulge our. A lot of times in our presentations, we indulge usually like in live shows, we each get our own presentations of these three like big comedy PowerPoints before we even get to the normal show. But these we just do one and uh, and we keep it as tight as we can. Yeah, although the, the I, I give you credit, the, uh, the I think you were the first PowerPoint uh, uh, presenter of the, 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 that started the, the PowerPoint trend. And those are epic. That's big <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah, those, I, I I did not. I mean, you know, working in my field, uh, powerpoints are something we dread rather than uh, look forward to. Uh, let me tell you, they're in. in and I mean, I'm not yeah. talking about the kids' powerpoints. My students' powerpoints are much better than the professional powerpoints I am presented at professional development opportunities that are painful. So I was like, a powerpoint can be funny. This is. <laughs> <laughs> I love seeing what Stuart and Elliot come up with. I have to admit, I kind of dread making mine because over the years, like I've learned enough about PowerPoint or Keynote as I like to care about how it looks. And once that <laughs> happened, oh boy, like something that used to be kind of a lark, like just I would just yes. toss these off, like. Now I take care. It takes like a week to do. <laughs> yes, take take deep pride in the the polishing of the PowerPoint. Yeah. But yeah. Um. So uh, one of the things I always do is ask. I put up. I toss up a weekly poll. Actually, I, I say I always do it. Sometimes I forget. When I remember, uh, we put up a, a weekly poll. What would be your question to ask the universe? Well, because I made biscuits this morning. I was thinking about that was in my head. I, my thought was best gravy. And I don't know whether it has to be a, a dual choice or it can be multiple choice. It can be multiple choice. What would be the multiple kinds of gravy? Well, here's here's what I say. I am not a fan of just like your brown gravy. You're like classic British brown just goo yeah not a fan of that i do like turkey gravy like you would have at ah uh, yeah Thanksgiving. i've had some very good mushroom gravy at my brother's vegan thanksgiving uh -huh. my personal favorite gravy is sawmill gravy uh i don't even know what that is that what is the sawmill white gravy? it's the white peppery gravy that you would get with you know, if you have it with biscuits and gravy, it's going to have some sausage in there, but you can have it without sausage. But, you know, you basically just add some flour to the fat that's in your uh, in your pan after cooking some sausage. And then, you know, you add a little milk uh, and a lot of pepper. And and, uh, and why do you know what the, the etymology of sawmill gravy? You know what? I should have looked this up. No, no, no I'm curious. I, I have I, no I idea. I just know that that's. Um, I think that's what I'm talking yeah, about. No, now. I, that, I, I've never heard that term, but I, yeah, I, I would. I think I would go with sausage gravy, but yeah, sawmill yeah. gravy. I, I mean, I like the name better. It's cooler, <laughs> sawmill gravy. There's no specific Wikipedia thing for sawmill gravy, but there is just a when you start typing in sawmill gravy. It goes to the gravy page. Uh, yeah. I don't know. 
It's a cream gravy. Cream gravy or white gravy, parentheses, sawmill gravy, is a be be bechamel sauce made using fats from meat or meat drippings. The fat and the drippings combined with flour to make a roux and milk is used. So I was, I was yeah. dead on. Spot on, yeah, okay. Sawmill gravy. Okay, well, I will run that and we will see. I wonder if, uh, you know, what percentage of the viewers will go, I don't know, sawmill gravy sounds kind of cool, but I've never, I don't know what that is. So I'm, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Um, so what is something that you are, you know, a firm believer that, uh, you know, our writing and our reading are absolutely connected. Uh, what is something you are looking forward to reading that you've not yet read? I have had waiting on my stack. I have so many, oh, like yeah. so many books. I, and I keep putting like books on my gift wish list yes. for, and, and I haven't read them, but one that I've been it's like right at the top of my pile, which I got from my co-host Elliot, who is also a big Marx Brothers fan, is uh, Four of the Three Musketeers, The Marx Brothers on Stage, which is a book specifically talking about like, you know, not the movies, like the work they did in vaudeville, the work they did on Broadway. I presume like I haven't you know read the book yet, like. I presume it would also cover like stage work they did once they got into the movies. Um, but but it's uh, your time in their lives. Yeah, they came out of the vaudeville tradition and then like they really like, you know, what catapulted them into uh, the the movies was they had success on Broadway. Like they like they, they did a, the, the big one that they did was called I'll Say She Is and it's you know like there's no record of it as a performance you know because it was a it was a broadway show but my god it would have been wonderful yeah. to see oh my gosh i read a book of his letters uh my uncle gave me when i was a kid and uh yeah just um, just in casual correspondence the wit is amazing yeah like, you know that's um, extremely funny yeah, that would be. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would enjoy that. I would enjoy. I, I can totally imagine why Elliot would be into that. I, I recently finished his novel, uh, uh, which uh, if if you know if if he if he shares it, you should check out. But uh, uh, it's you know set in the you know '30s Hollywood. Uh, you know, kind of transitioning out of vaudeville and and the you know the talkies and uh, yeah, it's that 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 is an era that uh, appeals certainly. It's yeah. Something um, about, I mean, like, I, I know I would have absolutely hated it in some way, but, like, it is that just dream of these people were so funny because they had to grind their skills to a sharp point going from town to town, these rinky-dink theaters with unsympathetic a lot of times audiences and you ever read uh, outliers by uh what, what's who wrote outliers uh, Ian, uh uh malcolm gladwell mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's the beatles like yeah that'd be good if you're going to be playing in a strip club for eight hours a day with exactly. you know, people would rather not be focusing on you you better get good like yeah. you know, that that grind yeah it would it would not have been a pleasant experience to be them it would have been amazing to see them yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would be really interesting to hear about how they kind of navigated the uh, the the kind of internal politics. I don't know how they all how well they all got along. Um, yeah, I mean, it's my impression. I mean, Chico was like a big gambler, and uh, I mean they 
and he chased a lot of women and harpo did to some degree Vertu, i think was a little less um and chica was like constantly losing all of his money and uh and you know like that would sort of require the team to like do something else to get him some money and I, it was sort of my impression that like he was difficult and maybe he and Groucho would have a little more friction and Harpo, you know, like that sweetness you sense on, on, in the movies, like he was the kind of the, the one who was like the peacemaker of the group. Yes. Peacemaker middle child. Yeah. That's, that is, that's interesting. That would, yeah. And it would be interesting to see how that tracked over the course of their careers too. You know, there, there are things that you can, do that become a, a, a rut you know where you're going this is always the role i play in our relationship and then there are things where it's i'm really tired of playing this role in this group yeah. you know <laughs> doing this for many many years so uh yeah that would be interesting to read I, i'll have to check that one out as well um so uh i'd like your recommendations who else is somebody i should reach out to to have on this show well you know what uh i don't know whether you've uh, reached out or you know this person at all so i recommended for the daily show a friend of mine that i've been working with uh doing sketch for a long time i did a, a an animated animated it was animated by me so it wasn't very well animated uh web series with his name's matt Koff. he works there and i believe he was just named uh funniest stand-up in new york there was a contest of like you know sort of people maybe like on the precipice uh people yeah. you like wouldn't be household names but are are working comics in new york and i just saw that like i'd seen for a long time that he'd been posting that he was in it and i think he i think he won based on what he posted to instagram and uh deserving because he's a very funny stand-up and he's sort of like, I mean, he obviously, like, you know, being a writer on The Daily Show is is a, a great form of success in one way, but I, I don't think he's gotten his due yet as a stand-up, so I hope that he does. Yeah, that would be great. I will absolutely reach out or try and, you know, connect. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll drop your name and we'll see if that, you know, gets <laughs> him to do the show. Um, okay, so before we uh, do our send-off, I uh, got some folks to thank. Thanks to Max Oakland, who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song, I Prefer the Dusk. Uh, let Max know you like it by following him on Twitter at Max Oakland with three Ds. And thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band or you'd like your song used on the show, I'd love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song. So email notapipepublishing at gmail.com. Uh, thanks to Doug, the producer, for making this show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. And I can't forget to mention, Writers Not Writing is a production of Not A Pipe Publishing, so please go to notapipepublishing.com, check out the amazing books written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. Uh, if you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. Uh, please check out uh, the Flophouse and uh, Flop TV uh, with Dan and the and, and the crew and... Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to those myself. Uh, and then when you check out the Flophouse, please give it a, a rating and a review as well. It helps. Um, doesn't take yeah. a ton of your time. Make Dan's day. Um, and I'm too old to tell you to smash that like button, but if you could gently tap on the like button for this show an odd number of times, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, Dan and I would like you to remember three things this week. Dan, what's your advice for everybody for this week? Just remember, when you use a chef's knife, the proper grip is to pinch part of the blade 
prevent it from rolling in your hand. And a dull knife is always more dangerous than a sharp one because you might slip while you're cutting. You want a sharp one that's just going to go right through. And that's not a metaphor for anything else. That's literally a it's dull literally knife is more dangerous than a sharp one. <laughs> I'm sure there's a we could we could think of something that that also is you that know one, would be a great metaphor. metaphor as well. Here you're yeah. right. A dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp. I think there's a political valence there that we could explore. <laughs> That's we might have the next election. Uh, could be about uh, the danger of a dull knife. Dull knife. Um, so. Uh, I always tell folks uh, a book without spaces would be gibberish and our lives need spaces too. So don't ignore the spaces. And third, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you.